This morning hasn't gone as I intended it to go. I'm sitting in my pew and I'm praying and asking the Lord to speak to my heart as I'm preparing to to preach and and I have a message written down and 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 we're going to get to it I promise uh brother Mark uh said that he came in Thursday for rehearsal and he said none of the music it just it it was it was a, a dumpster fire he said it was a train wreck and uh and so he said I came in yesterday and and uh just prayed and really sought the Lord and and the Lord really kind of laid a lot of these songs on my heart, so we put them together, and and thematically, I don't know if you picked up on it, but it was all about the love of God. Uh, it was all about the how deep is the measure of the Father's love. Uh, you know how uh, have we considered the the depth of the love that God has lavished upon us? And my my message this morning was, you know, we're been talking about the vision at Redeemer to lift up Jesus, to live in obedience and to love the world. Last week we looked at living in obedience. Two weeks ago we looked at lifting up Jesus. So today, naturally, we would look at loving the world. And, and, and I absolutely want to talk about how God has called us to love the world. But in order for us to be instruments of God's love to the world, we have to rightly understand the love that God has lavished upon us and I think so oftentimes we, we hear that God loves us and we say, okay, yeah, thanks, God loves us. Now what am I supposed to do with that? We don't really understand the depth of the love of God. I didn't give you these passages, Brother Chris, but I trust you're quick. Uh, Jeremiah 17, 9, if you have your Bibles this morning, I want us to look for just a few moments at, at a couple of these passages and then we're going to get to the focal point, uh, the focal passage of our message this morning. But Jeremiah chapter 17 uh, verse 9 uh, gives us uh, a little bit of insight into the love that the Father has lavished upon us. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. It says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart that which drives us, that which motivates us, that which compels us. The heart is more deceitful than all else, and it is desperately sick. Who can understand it? James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. The author writes, James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. He says, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust, by the lust, by the desires of his own heart. And then when that lust, when that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Romans 5 verse 8. One of the simplest passage, most clearly understood passages in all of Scripture. But God demonstrated His great love towards us in this. And then He unpacks this. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We just read in, in, in our, or just sang in our medley one of the songs 
was amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And I think we, we gloss over that first line and we, we, we sing it and we sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And that's where our focal point goes, that, that yes, grace is sweet and grace is wonderful, but why is grace so wonderful is because of the next part of that first line that saved a wretch like me. I think whenever we begin to understand the depth of our depravity and the deceitfulness and the wickedness of our heart, only then will we begin to understand the depth of the Father's love. I can't even fathom love that the Father has bestowed upon me. Because I can't even fathom the depth of my own depravity. As we talk about the love that we should have for the world, I think it's only it's only right that we understand the depth of the Father's love for us before we can understand the depth of the love that we should have for others. If you have your Bibles, flip over to the book of Acts chapter 1, verse 4. We're going to read the same passage we've read the last few weeks. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for that which the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me, you heard of, you heard of from me. And John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, verse 6. And so when, he had, when they had come together, they were asking, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taking up from you into heaven will come in just in the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Let's pray. God, as we contemplate this morning, our role, our responsibility, our commission to love the world just as Christ loved the world. Or may you give us unique insight into the depth, the breadth of the love the Father has for us. For it's only when we understand the love that the Father has for us that we can begin to love as Christ loved. 
Lord, may this morning, may you reveal to us the depth of our depravity. That we may begin to understand the greatness of the Father's love. Lord, and may we be compelled to share the love of Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, as we look at lifting up Jesus, living in obedience, loving the world, what does it mean to lift up Jesus? It is in everything that we do that that we proclaim the Lordship of Christ, that Jesus is Lord of all. It does not matter who you are, it does not matter where you are, it does not matter when you are, that Jesus is Lord of all. That he is he is the king of North Korea. He is the king of, of Iran. He is the king of Iraq. He is the king of America because he is, there is no other king. Jesus is Lord. And we must do everything in our power to lift him up as the Lord of all. The scripture tells us that uh, Jesus made the statement, If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And then the, 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 the scripture is very plain and very clear that we as Christians, we as followers of Jesus are to live in obedience to the word of God. In order to be effective in our ministry, in order to be effective in our service to the king, our lives must be markedly different than those around us. We must, our lives must be marked by obedience. It does not matter what we say if what we say does not match how we live. And so, so it, is, it is not only imperative that we lift up Jesus, but it is imperative that we live in obedience. And we must understand that, that we are God's chosen instruments to be His hands and feet. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says, Do you not understand that you are ambassadors for God as though God were entreating the world through us to be reconciled to God. And so, so we must understand that, that God desires to use His church as the means of the Great Commission. The church, born-again believers, Christians, have always been God's intended methodology for reaching the lost world. God does not desire to use televangelists. He does not desire to use, to use uh, uh, you know, these... Uh, Chain emails that we send out, if you love Jesus, send this on to 17 people. Uh, it, it, is, it is not uh, God's design to use some, some video that, that, uh, about the greatness of creation. God's intent on reaching a lost world is to use the plumber, the electrician, the oil field worker, the mechanic, the engineer, the lawyer, who have been radically changed by the, by the message of the gospel, and to use the church in the world to reach the world. That is God's methodology for evangelism. That is God's methodology for sharing the love of Christ. We are instruments of God, therefore we don't get to choose on whom we share the love of Christ with. Therefore we must love the world just as Christ loved the world. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is probably the pivotal passage in the short passage that we read. We looked at the last couple of weeks how, how this not only uh, encapsulates all of the book of Acts, but it also encapsulates the, the growth of the church. Uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 could very easily be the theme passage for all of the Gospels. 
and you'll be my witnesses. And you'll, and you'll buy, uh, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you and you'll be my witnesses uh, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. This could very well be the, the marching orders for all of the church. But I want us to go and I want us to look very specifically at uh, a, small por- a small portion of Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses. And you shall be my witnesses. So oftentimes, we see this, this passage and we'll hear preachers preach and we'll hear the, the message that we are commanded to be evangelists. We are commanded, you shall be my witnesses. That is an imperative. It's not an imperative. And if anybody tells you an imperative, it's because they haven't studied the original language and they don't know what they're talking about. And you shall be my witnesses even unto the ends of the earth. That is not a command. The author is not commanding us to be witnesses. That is not what the text says. We're going to go back and we're going to unpack what the text says. It says, and you, shall, uh, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. It's in the same vein, it's in the same vein as Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. I didn't give you this one either, Chris, I'm sorry. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Jesus makes a statement, uh, uh, and you will follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus is speaking to the disciples. He says, come and follow me. Leave your nets, leave everything there. Come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It's the same grammatical construction, and you shall become fishers of men. Jesus wasn't commanding the disciples to fish for men. He says, come and follow me. That's the command. That's the imperative. Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. The fishing for men will be a an outfall or will be an overflow of the imperative following Jesus. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. So many of us have heard this passage preached. Sorry, I didn't give you that one either, Chris. Matthew chapter 28, you, you'll see a recurring theme. I didn't give him much of this. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. We've heard this passage preached. We've heard it. We've heard mission sermons that have, that have empowered us and encouraged us to give, to go, to sin. And Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Verse 19. Therefore, go. That is not an imperative. The construction of the language is one verb in this entire passage. Go ye therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lo, I'm with you always, even uh, teaching them to observe all I've commanded. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This passage has only one verb, and it's not go, and it's not baptize, and it's not teach. The only, the only imperative, the only verb is make disciples. Go is a participle. It says, therefore, going. When you go about your day, make disciples. Baptizing is a participle. Teaching is a participle. It's not a verb. We aren't commanded to be evangelists. We're commanded to follow Jesus. We're commanded to to be disciples of Jesus. And being disciples of Jesus, we are then compelled We are then motivated to share the gospel 
with all people. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, let's go back to that passage. And I want us to see the construction of the language. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, naturally you will become fishers of men. Naturally you will become my witnesses. And when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you receive power. And you shall be my witnesses. Not because somebody says on Monday we're going out and we're going to share the gospel. And if you're, if you're a good Baptist, you're going to show up on Monday afternoon. And we're going to go knock on doors and we're going to share the gospel. And you can check it off your box that you did this today. Well, the preacher said we're commanded to go. So I've got to show up and I've got to do and I've got to be and I've got. That is not what motivates these disciples. What motivates these disciples is that they are radically impacted by the love of Jesus. That, that you know what, Zacchaeus was, was, was a thief. And he had stolen and he had, he had, he had corrupted what, what God had, had blessed him with. And he had taken this, this, this office, that, which was a blessing of God, this this. This means to support his family and he had manipulated people and he had stole and he had lied and, and the, the, the depth of his depravity was revealed to him and, and he cried out and he said, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, salvation has come to your house today. And, and upon receiving the message of salvation, Zacchaeus goes and he, he gives everything that he has and he makes it right and he he then becomes a witness, a follower of Jesus. And I can't imagine that his life was ever the same. And that everybody that he came in contact with, he shared the love of Jesus. He said, he said I was a thief, I was a liar, I was, I was undone, and Jesus changed my life. Jesus didn't command him to tell other people. He was compelled. He was motivated by the love of Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse uh, chapter 5, verse 14. Just before it says in verse 20 that we are ambassadors for Christ, what is it that compels us? Well, Paul says that we are compelled, we are motivated by the love of God. For it is the love of God which compels us. For it is the love of Christ which compels us or controls us, having concluded this, that Jesus Christ died for all. First John chapter 4, verse 19. Why is it possible for us to love others? We love because He first loved us. The only way that we can share the love of Christ is because we have been recipients of the love of Christ. It is the love of God that motivates us. It is the love of God that compels us. Because if it's not the love of God that compels us, you know what happens whenever you show up Monday after Monday after Monday knocking on doors, sharing the gospel? You get sick and tired of showing up on Monday afternoon, giving up your time, knocking on doors, and and trying to convince people to to, to vote for Jesus. You get sick and tired of, of, of checking off a list, of doing what you're supposed to do. You get sick and tired of being a Christian. You get sick and tired of, 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 of doing your duty, of... of of teaching Sunday school, of teaching vacation Bible school, if you're not motivated by the love of Christ and you're just doing it because you're supposed to do it, then you're going to wear out. It's not going to last. 
But when you're motivated by the love of God, when you realize that everything that I do is because God has loved me and he has given me new life and he has transformed me. From, he has taken me from death to life. He has taken my feet out of the, the miry clay and he set me upon the rock. He has given me a new lease on life. I was dead and now I'm alive. I was blind and now I'm see. And, and motivated by this love, I can't help but share. That's a whole lot different than some preacher guilting you into and just sharing the love of Jesus. It is the Spirit of God which enables us to love like Jesus. Go back to verse 8. We don't love because we're just lovable people. And you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses. It will be the Spirit of God which will empower you and enable you to share the love of Jesus. Because I guarantee you, church, you're not going to do it on your own. You're not going to do it motivated by by whatever selfish motivation that, that, that drives us. It will be the Spirit of God that motivates us. How do I know this? Where were the disciples? Where was the, 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 the mission going to begin? And you would be my witnesses in Jerusalem. What was taking place in Jerusalem? Well, first of all, they had just killed Jesus. That's a bad day if you're a follower of Jesus. They had just killed Jesus. They had, they had persecuted Jesus. They had executed Jesus. And the disciples had taken their, their, their fearless leader, had taken their, their promised Messiah, whom they thought was going to, to usher them into this new kingdom. And in fact, even after his resurrection, they asked him, is it at this time that you're restoring your kingdom? They still didn't get it. But in Jerusalem is where they're going to begin. Jerusalem was the place where, where they were surrounded by their enemies. They were surrounded by those who who cried out, crucify him. They were surrounded by those whom Peter was even afraid that he was a friend of Jesus. Do you remember that story? Peter's standing there in the the court of where Jesus is being on trial before Annas in the middle of the night, warming himself by the fire. And they say, hey, aren't you a friend of Jesus? And Peter, afraid for his own life, afraid if I'm associated with this guy, that not only are they going to kill him, but they're going to kill me too. Peter denied Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times. And so we have the the reality is that God empowers them with the Holy Spirit and says, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be enabled to share the love of Christ right here. In the midst of your enemies, the only way that that's going to be possible is if they are empowered by the Spirit of God. Because Peter ain't showing his face. Not in front of those people who just killed Jesus and wanted to kill me too. It's natural to love those who are easy to love. It's easy to love the people who are easy to love, but the Spirit of God enabled his disciples to do that which they could not do in their own power. Luke chapter 18, verse 27. Jesus said, that which is impossible with man is possible with God. 
In Jerusalem, there were those who had persecuted and killed Jesus. Those who arrogantly said, we will not serve this king. We will not serve this master. And that's where the ministry, that's where the love of Christ was to begin to be shared. It's in Jerusalem and then Judea. Those who were similar to them, yet different. Socioeconomically, they were different. They were more affluent. Morally, they were different. Philosophically, they were different. He says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Empowered by the Spirit of God, Acts chapter 1-8 tells them that they're going to share the love of Jesus. They're going to be the witnesses of Jesus to those whom they had once hated and reviled. Not only were they told, you're going to be my witnesses and share the love of God to those who hate you, but you're going to be my witnesses and share the love of God to those whom you hate. Imagine how encouraging that was for the disciples. Not only are we going to share the love of God to those who hate me, but now I have to share the love of God to those whom I hate. It's one thing to share the love of God for those who hate you because secretly, inwardly, you, you desire their approval. You desire the, 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 the acceptance of them. You want to be loved by them. And so maybe by sharing the love of God that, that, that they'll love me, they'll accept me, they'll appreciate me. But now I've got to share the love of God, not with those who I want to be loved by and I want to be accepted by, but I've got to share the love of God with those whom I hate and I revile and I despise. The disciples being devout Jews hated the Samaritans. They considered them to be on the same level, if not worse, than a Gentile. Someone who was rejected by God. Someone who was not worthy of the grace of God. Those who were dirty. I heard a pastor say one time, and I think it's it's a wonderful illustration of the love of God. He said, my desire at our church is to reach those whom nobody wants. Go after the the homeless, the drug addict, the drunk, the child abuser. Because if I go after those whom nobody wants, God will give me those who everybody wants. It's so easy for the church, for us to, to look at the CEO and the doctor and the lawyer and say, man, if they would just come to our church, write a tithe check, Man, we could, we could do X, Y, or Z. We could fill our coffers with, with, with money. We could have resources. We could build bigger buildings. We could have, have more ministry. Man, if we could just have that guy to be a member of our church. And, and God says, no. Who did Jesus go after? The rejected, the poor, the helpless, the homeless the thief, the tax gatherer, the Samaritan. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You will share the love of God with those who hate you. You will share the love of God with those whom you hate. 
and then to the ends of the earth with those whom they had never met. They were ethnically, culturally different from them. They had other cultures. They had other gods. They were just different. They didn't talk like them. They didn't smell like them. They didn't act like them. They were just different. And nobody likes to be around people who are different. That's why whenever we come to church, we sit in the exact same spot every day. You know, I can tell who's not here because there's a hole. (laughs) Nobody moves around. If you do move around, it throws everybody off. Why? Because we want to sit by people that we like. We want to we be around people that you like. On, on, on Friday night, you don't call somebody who doesn't look like you, act like you, talk like you, and, 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 and go to Chili's. No. You call your friends. You call, you call those people who are like you, those people who their kids go to the same school that you do. They play on the, your, your kids play on the same ball team. You're, you, you have similar interests. You have similar things in common because we like hanging out with people that are like us. And if we can figure out somebody that's, that's, that, that's like us, then maybe we can, we can excuse away some of the crazy things that we do because maybe they do some of the crazy things too. Maybe they're just as sick and twisted as we are. Maybe they're just as weird as we are. Maybe their family's just as dysfunctional as we are. We like that because it makes us feel more normal. And it's natural to want to be around people that are like us. And Jesus said, Newsflash Church, I'm going to send you to be around people that aren't anything like you. They're not going to think like you. They're not going to act like you. They're not going to talk like you. They're not going to smell like you. They're not going to eat the same foods that you eat. But you're going to go and you're going to share the love of Christ with them because you've been so impacted by the love of God that you'll have no other choice but to share the love of Jesus. You won't be commanded to. You won't be forced to. It'll just happen because you've been so impacted by the love of God in your own life. It just comes out. And then what happens? Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then God commanded them to go and speak. Is that what your text says? It doesn't. And being filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to speak. They couldn't help it just came natural they didn't sit down in a meeting they didn't have they didn't call together a committee meeting and say okay i've been gifted with the the the, the language of the medes i've been gifted with the language of of the arabics i've been gifted with this language so i'm going to go and we're going to have a bible study over here and i'm going to speak to the medes and i'm going to speak to the parthians and i'm going to speak to the greeks that's not what happened The scripture is very plain and very clear. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, they were moved, they were motivated, they were compelled by the love of God. And they began to speak. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other languages. The Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. Verse 6, And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were bewildered because they were each hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and marveled, saying, Why, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? 
How is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, districts of Libya, Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. The love of God was manifested in the proclamation of the gospel. The ultimate expression of God's love was communicated to them that God loves you so much that He gave His only begotten Son. That if you will continue in belief, you'll not die, but have everlasting life. For God demonstrated His great love for us and that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The message of the love of God was proclaimed to them. God filled them with the Spirit, and the manifestation of the filling of the Spirit was a communication of the love of God. A communication of the, the depth and the breadth and the, the all-encompassing nature of the love of God. The reality was, is that the disciples loved them enough. They were compelled by the love of God enough to tell them the truth. That if they stay in their sin, that they will die and spend an eternity in a Christless hell. That your depravity is such that you are not okay. That you are not going to be excused by your excused of your sin because we worship a good God. In fact, the reality is just the opposite. That God is good and God is holy and He must punish sin. And that if you stand before a holy, just God, you're going to stand condemned in your sin. Your depravity is going, there's going to be the light of Christ and the light of God's goodness that's going to shine on your life. And you're going to be revealed that the depth of your depravity and the, the, the reality of the sin that dwells within your heart is going to be revealed. And you're going to stand condemned. And the greatest expression of the love of God is to communicate the truth. That in and of your own sin, you'll stand before holy God condemned for all eternity. If we love those around us, if we've been impacted by the love of Jesus, and we love those who are around us, our friends, our co-workers, our family members, we can't help but share this message. If we're not sharing this message, it's only one of two possibilities. You've never been impacted by the love of Jesus. Or you don't love those around you. If you've been impacted by the love of Jesus, you can't help but share. It just oozes out of you. Maybe you don't really love those around you. They're not like me. They don't talk like me. You don't know what they've done to me. They hate me. They're my enemy. They persecute me. I hate them. They're not worthy of the grace of God. And you'll be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit shall come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth.
Church, it's not enough to lift up Jesus in all that we do. It's not enough to say that we're striving to live in obedience if we don't love the world. And we can't love the world until we understand the love that God has for us. This morning, maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time ever, God has taken the light of His Word and has peeled back the hardness of your heart and has revealed to you your own depravity. And for the very first time, you've realized how deep the Father's love for us is. Maybe for the very first time, you realize the reality of that passage. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated His great love for us that while we were sinners, while we were haters of God, while we reviled Him, while we spat upon Him, while we mocked Him, that, that while we were screaming out among the scoffers, God demonstrates His great love for us that while we were sinners, haters of God, Jesus died for us. For the very first time, you realize the depth of the love of God. You're compelled to share. Maybe today, you realize that, you know, I, I thought I loved my neighbor. I thought I loved my coworker. I thought I loved my family member. But I've been working with them for 23 years and I've never shared the gospel with them. And by sharing the gospel, I don't mean sitting down and saying, okay, John, Jim, Joe. You know, you know, God loves us. He has a wonderful plan for us. You're a sinner. You're going to go to hell. Jesus died for us. No. Sit down and have a conversation with the guy, with the girl. Talk about how Jesus has impacted your life. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They love not their life even unto death. Tell them how Jesus has changed your life. Ask them, ask them if there's anything you can pray for him with. And watch God tear down the walls. Watch God, through the relationship, share the love of Jesus. Hey, won't you come? Won't you come worship with us? I'd love to take you out to lunch after church on Sunday. Won't you come worship with us? God has changed my life. Not church has changed my life. God has changed my life through the love of Jesus. Won't you come see what that's all about? Do you love the people in your life enough to tell them the truth? Let's pray. God, we know you love us. We know you love us not because there's anything in us to love, but we know you love us Because you're the very personification of love. Lord, how deep the Father's love for us. If for the very first time in your life, you realize the depth 
of the love of God. And you need to give your life to Jesus. You need to realize that there's nothing that I can do to earn his grace, to earn his love, to earn his favor, but that God loves me. He loves me so much that he gave us his son to be a ransom for for our sin. If you realize this, then you need to give your life to Jesus. May you come. May you come today and say, I know that God loves me even though I'm unlovable. Maybe this morning God is compelling you by the love of God to share the love of Jesus with others. And you've sat for so many years convincing yourself that you're sharing the gospel through your life and that you don't need to use words. It's a wonderful saying and I, I, I think it is very applicable. It says share the love, share the gospel everywhere you go and when necessary use words. Well church, it's necessary. Use words. Tell them of the love of Jesus. Tell them that he died for their sin. That they might experience the love of God. If God is compelling you to to share the love of God, may you respond this morning by saying, yes, I will be obedient. I will share the love of Jesus. God, may you impact us this morning by your love. In Jesus' name we pray.